Courageous people aren't people who are brave necessarily. They, they are brave, brave by definition, but they really are people who press past their fears and do it anyway. That's what makes you courageous. You try when you're afraid. You try when you're confused. You try when you can't quite figure it out. Something in your head and in your ears is saying, don't do it, don't do it. But in your mind, you know, I have to. And that's what makes you courageous. It's the mother who gets up late at night and she's tired. It's the father who presses past his fears and goes to work and says, I, I've, got, I've got to make this job work because my family needs the income. It's the person who keeps trying. That's what a courageous person is. And specifically, we, we, we're talking not just about courage, but we're talking about wealth, which I know makes people uncomfortable because they think you're trying to find a way to get them to give you more money, and especially in the church context, it makes people nervous. That's not the intent of this series. The word wealth goes way beyond money, by the way. It really is a word that in its root means well-being. It's, it's about getting to a place where I'm okay. I'm just fine. I'm not in any need. My relationship with you is not tied to a, a need for money. It's not tied to any manipulation. It's not tied to anything I want from you because I'm okay. It's just nice to be in your car that you like so I don't have to lust after your car. It's just nice to like my wife, like my life, like my what I have. My job, my church. I don't have to have something bigger or better. Not that I don't want to grow and do things, but it, my, my perspective uh, has changed. One of the, one of the downsides of the megachurch experience is that it has created in the average pastor this sense of frustration and failure. That if he doesn't have a huge building and if he doesn't have whatever, whatever, that somehow he's failed. And some guys have overbuilt in the pursuit of this imaginary world called happiness. And they have drowned their churches in debt and drowned themselves in bondage seeking for something. People buy homes they shouldn't buy. They buy cars that are nice to drive, but they are way beyond your income level. In the, in the pursuit of the appearance of wealth. Wealth is not just a stu stuff. I like stuff. I mean, I have a few nice things. But the issue is I don't need to, to create an image and not have substance. I need to be okay. I want to be okay. I want my life to be good. I want my wife to be good and my kids to be good. I want my world to be good. And I want this church to be okay. I want to be able to pay your bills and manage things and pay the staff and not have to say, your paycheck will be okay next week. Hold it for a week. I, I, I think that's a terrible, terrible problem for people. And so in our studies, uh, we started the year saying we need to have some courageous conversations. And in these courageous conversations, we listed some things that were important that can get messy for us and mess up everything if we're not careful. I went through the Ten Commandments and laid out for you this whole thing as to these are the things God says can get you in trouble. Then I talked about how once you have these conversations, you've got to come up with things you're going to change, a list. These are the things, after looking at everything, and, and I, I, I agree, now these are the ten things or five things or three things I need to change. And once you decide what you want to change, you've got to make a plan. A, an idea that I'm going to change something with no plan is just talk. But once you get a plan, you need resources. You need wealth. It could be money, it could be people, it could be training, it could be a book you need to read, it could be 10 books you need to read, but you need, you need information to help you implement the plan you say you need to change because you've had a conversation with yourself. Are you with me so far? So it's really important to see this link. Next month I change gears on you again, and we'll talk about courageous priorities. Can you say it with me, please? Come on. And courageous priorities means that you're going to have to decide what goes first. 
Everything can't be number one in your life. Every job, every decision, every day, you cannot have 50 different priorities. One of the really interesting things about a master's program and a doctoral program is the issue is they, they force you to, to answer one question, right? If you're going to do your thesis, or whatever you call it, you say, what is your one discipline? What's the one thing you want to be good at? You want to be a master at what thing? And sometimes we, when you're doing those papers, uh, there's this forcing you into this narrowing of what you want to think about. What is your discipline? What is the one thing? And a lot of people don't think about one thing at a time. Your mind is all over the place. So if I were to get you to focus on one thing, what would it be? It's the one thing you need to change. For some of you, it's, your, it's the wealth in your life. Your money's a mess. Your life's a mess. You don't, have a, you don't have the right people, the right resources. And it's not just money. If I gave you money, it wouldn't solve your problem because you don't have the right advisors in your life. You don't have the right people giving you, in, in giving you insight. So in this study, we have talked about three, three, three things so far, and the third one's today. The first thing we did was went to Matthew chapter 25, and that was our case study, and we have been there for this third week. The first week we talked about using what you have. Say that with me, please. Come on. Just remember the story of the guy with the, the three guys, right? One guy had one talent, which is a measurement of money. Another guy had two talents. Another guy had five. So you have three guys highlighted, and we started our study looking at the one guy. And the whole point of the first sermon was to say, this guy did not use what he had. That's a favorite conversation. People like to talk about that. Use your talent, you'll lose it. And we went through this whole thing about using your talent. In the second sermon, we talked about investing what you have. You can't just use it. You have to invest it. The goal should be to get a return. And then thirdly, this week, we're talking about learning from what you have. So the same with me, please say, using what you have, investing what you have, learning from what you have. I'll get it right. Say it again. Say learning <laughs> from what you have. This time you get stuck, you know, you have to kind of get it out. There's a question that's at the core of our sermon today. One question. In this study of these, these guys, right, this, this study of these um, three guys, the emphasis is almost always on the one guy who buried his talent. It's never on the two guys who didn't. The conversation is always about that, that bad guy who didn't use what he could have used. He gave him the money and he buried it in the ground and didn't do anything with it. My question is, why didn't the guy, the man with the one talent, take advantage of the wisdom of the men with more talent. If he had done that, it would have changed his life. Why didn't, why didn't he go to them and say, hey guys, I see you guys are doing pretty good. What can, I, what, what can you say to me that might help me? He never did any of that. Now, I believe they knew each other for reasons that are obviously linked in the text. Number one, they were all given it, implied given the talents together. So one was given one, one was given two, one was given five. And then when they were judged later on, when the master came back, he called them together and he said, okay, what did you do with yours? And he said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And he, and he rewarded him because the guy with two talents now had four. And the guy with five talents now had ten. And in the end, the guy with one talent stands up and says, well, look, I knew you were unfair. I knew you, you, know, you reap what you haven't sown. Has this whole speech he gives. And he says, so here's the one talent you gave me. 
and he gave it back to him. So he gave him exactly what he was given. And the master said this, you're wicked and lazy. We'll read it in a minute. You're wicked and lazy. Then he says this amazing thing. Take from the, obviously somebody else is around. Because he doesn't do it himself. He says, take from the guy with the one and give it to the guy with the five. So this is, so there's some kind of, of public, whether it's a private family meeting, but there are people are in this conversation. It's not just them individually. So here you have this moment where you think, okay, well, so this guy with the one talent was around the guy with the, with the growing talents. Why didn't the guy with the one talent ask the guy with the growing talents to help him? Why didn't he let anybody help him? Now, now I thought about this in the context of my life, and I wrote this little story, right? This is called How I Grew My Personal Talent, which is just me testifying, so put up with it for a minute. I've noticed in my 37 years of pastoring and 43 years of preaching that most people don't use what is available to them. I was 17 when I started preaching and 23 when I began to pastor. Imagine that. Hmm. God brought the right people, leaders, friends, schools, and churches to prepare me for my future. My first year of college at 18 years old was a floating year without much direction. I took classes just to take them, but... Through a series of circumstances, a conversation, and attending a prayer meeting, I ended up in a small Bible college that changed my life forever. I had to go to a specific school that was small and intimate enough to help me. Here's what happened. This experience ignited a new level of academic and spiritual passion. They had the tools I needed. Read that with me, please. Come on. They had the tools I needed. Pause right there. They had the tools I needed to advance my life. Who would have imagined that I had these talents? It was amazing to see me grow from the age of 19 to 23. During this season, my confidence and faith in my future surpassed my expectations, and that is the truth. That is the truth. My mother has always wanted me to go to college. She always wanted, she, she wanted me. She didn't finish, and she wanted me to finish. It was a uh, she was a, a drive of hers. I learned later why. But in that, in that experience of going there, something just clicked. Taking advantage, it's important, of what, is the, what was available to me. Taking advantage of what was available to me made the difference in my life. Now, other people get to the mall different ways. Repeat this with me, please. It's one of my favorite sayings. So there are many ways to get to the mall. I'm not saying this is the way you have to go. This was my journey. So it's on my sermon notes. Are you with me? Okay. <laughs> Taking advantage of what was available to me made the difference in my life. I needed people in my life and that could help me. That's so important. Not just people who like me, but they could help me. Pause. One of the problems with, with hiring in a staff as a church in church is you hire people you like. Not always people that can help you. As the church grows, you get to this liking stuff. That's not a basis to hire people. It's not a basis when you start a business to hire all your friends. You shouldn't hire people just because you like them. You need to think about, if you're going to start a school, if you're going to start something, who can help me? That's the question. I had to seek them out. Say that with me, please. Come on. I had to seek them out. I had, to, I had to ask for help. This guy didn't ask for help. 
This guy tried to do it all by himself. Our last sermon dealt with a guy, one talent. He refused to do anything with his talent. He buried it, and he never asked anybody to help him manage it. Matthew 25, 24, 30. That's an amazing story. Now, allow me, if I can, to take two major points I want to make, and I'm done for today. I want to show you that building courageous wealth with people that can help you is a necessity. You will never build the kind of resources you need. And again, not just money, money included, though, but not just money. You will never have the, the life of well-being you need if you're trying to do it alone. Secondly, I want you to think about building courageous wealth while watching others fail is one of the hardest things you will ever do. If you set out to succeed, part of what succeeding will require of you is watching other people fail. And you cannot save them. That is a tragedy of success. It is a painful reality. Look with me, if you would please, in Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. The guy with one talent was dealing with two people with more abilities. Look at how this is worded in verse 14. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants. Whose servants were they? His own servants. And he delivered to them whose goods? His goods. To them. To one he gave five. Right? To another, he gave two talents. To another, one. Now, this is what I want you to notice. It was according to their abilities. They get the ta- that These were guys that were given talents because the, the master believed you are qualified and gifted and able to handle one talent. Man, you can do this. I have faith in you. You can do one talent and do it well. You can explode. This thing can double under your leadership. You are a one-talent guy. Go for it. You are a two-talent guy. I have faith in you. I have confidence in you. You can absolutely do this. And you are a three-talent, five-talent guy. Now, I want you to notice, all these guys were given these abilities, these talents, because they had the ability. Have you ever in your life dealt with people who had more ability than you? What's it like to be one of the guys standing there, and you're the one-talent guy, and you look to the right, and there are these guys with more talent than you? How do you respond to that? How do you manage the moments when you are not the smartest one in the room? You are not the best with money. You are not. This often happens in marriage and relationships because what you discover in marriage and relationships is that you are not better than everybody. I was, I don't know, I had this great idea that I was going to learn to play the piano. You know, I took piano lessons when I was a kid, and I had this guy who was awful. He was an awful teacher, and he would, he would just make you sit around and write whole notes all day. It was ridiculous. You know, I, I just treble clips and whole notes for hours. What kind of lesson is this? And then he would walk around with this uh, stick, and he'd hit the students who were playing, and their fingers, they hit the wrong key. Well, I knew I didn't want to play music after that. He killed all of my passion for music. Well, when, <laughs> when that ended, I just always had this lingering desire to play, and I thought, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take a lesson. So I paid somebody. What did I do? I paid somebody. I hired me a tutor teach me how to play. And I was grown, pastoring, I don't know, I was in my 30s, and I said, okay, I'm going to learn this. And uh, so I'm playing, you know. No, I might have been, I might have been in my 40s. I was playing, you know, and I'm just, I'm just practicing. Mary had a little lamb. It was pitiful, it was pitiful, it was pitiful. It was awful sounding. And Ricky was, uh, I don't know, 12, 13. Ricky comes in, and he says, hey, what you doing, Daddy? I said, I am practicing. And he played the drums. He didn't play the piano at this time. His first instrument was the drums, and he was really good at it, you know. So he comes in and says, hey, Dad, you know, he says, well, what? and so he says, oh, you mean this? 
Get your hand off that piano. I am practicing. But you can't even play. <laughs> Don't sound like you can play either. He said he walked out. I mean, I'm paying somebody. So I asked my teacher this question. It's my last lesson. Her answer to this question ended my career. <laughs> I said, do people normally have this much trouble? She says, no. <laughs> no, they don't normally have this much difficulty. I said, well, that's your last paycheck from me. <laughs> Everybody doesn't have the same number of talents. Everybody doesn't have the same gift. Everybody doesn't. And sometimes admitting it is hard. It's hard to say, I just don't think I'm that good at this. What was it like to be the one-talent guy standing next to the guys with the two talents? And what's it like to be the two-talent guys dealing with the one-talent guy? Well, it looks like these two-talent guys were really focused. So here's a question for you. Who are the people in your life that have more ability than you? Would it be your sister, brother, and do you get mad with them? Because they can sing better, they, 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 you know, they just dress up better or whatever it is, and you just kind of hate them a little bit. You know, do you have people in your job you just don't like because she just looks good? She doesn't even hardly comb her hair. She does this, and bam, it's all in place. It just makes you mad. You know, a lot of women can't stand that look, that little winch with her straight toes because your toes are all crooked, and you just can't stand her coming here with her straight toes and looking good and think she's somebody. <laughs> all the guys talking to her. I mean, and if you're not careful, you know, your church is smaller. My church is smaller than his church. You know, it's just amazing. And, you, and you know, when I, when I see people, they make these little comments, and it's, it's kind of like chop you down comments. Ah, here come big time. Ah, come the money. It's coming in the house. <laughs> Glad you stopped by us little people. You know what I mean? And then they come in your house, and this is why you don't invite them back. Ah, how much does this cost? My goodness. <laughs> Graciousness, God is good, isn't he? Yes, hallelujah. You know, that's your last visit. I mean, it's nice to commend someone, but it's also, if you're not careful, if there's a subtle chop down, mockery. There's this thing that, you know, you can, you know, you, if, if, if a person, you see a person, and everything else looks good, why would you mention the one thing that they're struggling with? It's obvious, right? I mean, really, it's just, it's just, it's just can I be honest? I'm, I'm doing good today. I think it's a good day today. <laughs> yeah, good view. Praise God. It's a good day. You know, I'm not, look, my shoes looking good, right? You know, I'm trying to lean. I got my hair combed and everything, right? And why would somebody come and pick on the one thing you might be fighting? You know, I, well, I'm going to tell you, me, I want to I pick back. I want to look at your toe crooked. I, could, I don't do that. That would not be godly. I feel like I shouldn't. <laughs> I'm, that's what comes to my mind so you can know what's in his head. I'm looking, I'm checking you out for perfection to see. Because all of us, well, we do this to people. We do this to people. We do this in church. We do it on the job. We pick on the one thing this company's bad at. And we sit in the break room and talk about it. Rather than all the good things they're doing, like paying you every month. That's a good thing. How about an amen to that? Your paycheck hasn't bounced yet. I hope not, right? So who are the people in your life that have more ability, more talent than you have? How do you respond to people with more ability than you? When, when, when is the last time you asked this important? Ask somebody with more ability to help you. 
When's the last time you did that? And how do you feel about people with more abilities? Do you just kind of hate them? Don't like them? That, my friends, is the state of this one guy. He cannot bring himself, no record of him asking these guys. I wonder if you like that. The guy with one talent <laughs> was dealing with people who could have taught him how to invest. Look at verse 16. He had received the five talents, went and traded with them, and made another five. That's an impressive guy. And likewise, he would receive two talents, gain two more also. But he who had received one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord came to those servants and settled accounts with them. That always happens. There will always be a time of settling. So he would, who had received five talents came and brought five others and saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained how many more? Five talents. Now the guy with one talent, though, watch this now. His Lord said to him, Verse 21, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of, the, of your Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I've gained two more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. Notice how he describes them, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Who are you surrounded with like this? Who are you surrounded with? Who in your life does well? Their marriage works. They're prosperous. They're advancing. Why are you not talking to those people? Here could be one potential reason. You don't like to be instructed. You don't want anybody in your business. One of the things that's really interesting about my life that I've learned, I cannot be successful without help. And that requires a high level, listen carefully, of transparency. It is crucially important that every year some audit person audits. When, are we done with the audit yet? Are we in the middle of it? We're done? Okay. We just finished it. Um, you know, we have an outside auditor come in and do an audit review, a review of our books. That, that to me is crucial. To say, yeah, you, 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 you're, you're doing what you say you're doing. There's a council that reviews it every month. There's a system in place. Uh, we have an outside audit firm that comes in and reviews it. And there's something healthy about that. They do that every month. They have an, an outside audit firm that reviews what we do every month and gives opinions. Part of, part of what I think <laughs> is important about that is if you don't have a system of accountability that you create, that you ask for, if you won't let anybody instruct you, I, I, don't, I don't think it's, I think you will get in trouble. I, I think, you, I think you will get, you, you'll get your marriage, your business, your life will end up in a place that's unfortunate. Because it's hard for you. I was talking to somebody the other day and I, I had said something to them that was challenging and I said, I'm really sorry if what I said the other day was in, was in any way offensive. I wasn't trying to be. I said, it's just an observation I made. He said, he stopped me. He said, Temple, let me tell you something. He said, what was the man who doesn't have anybody in his life to speak to? What was the man who only hears his own voice? I said, that's why I like you. Talk to me, Temple. There's something about that kind of a person 
who doesn't struggle with being instructed. We celebrate in this culture this idea of independence, and I understand it. But if you're not careful, you become the kind of person that would rather fail than ask for help. You'd rather do it wrong, rather be embarrassed. I've watched people, they're at the point of eviction, and they come to you when they need your money, but they don't listen to you when it comes to advice. Your advice falls on deaf ears. There's no response to advice, but a lot of response when it comes to giving some money. And that, to me, is what gets you in trouble. I have to learn in my life that I have to listen. But here's what's really sad as I close this out. What's really tragic is, after I choose to listen, I have to watch a tragedy happen around me. You see, the two guys with more talents had to watch the guy with one talent fail. Imagine watching this conversation. Verse 24. The master is talking to the guy with the one talent, and the two guys are watching. And there are obviously other people around, and you'll see why in a minute. So this is not a private conversation. The one talent conversation with this guy is said in front of people. Here's what I believe is true. If I am not a person who listens to counsel, I will eventually be embarrassed. What God tries to say to me in private will be said in public. The Bible said, judge yourself that you be not judged. There's something powerful about being clear. There is a moment. A lot of times, guys standing in front of the judge, your mama said that for years. <laughs> your mama told you, don't lie, don't steal, don't hang with those people. Oh, your mama told you that. Don't act like she didn't. Your daddy told you. Somebody told you. Your brother looked at you and said, you're better than this. What are you doing going in stores stealing clothes? What in the world are you doing? Why, how, could you, how could you possibly think that's okay? Sleeping all around, doing all the things you're doing. Pause for a minute in your life. Your peace, somebody's told you this. And sometimes you're standing in front of the judge, and the judge is telling you what your parents told you. And all your mom and daddy and family can sit back and say, yep, amen to that one. Send you some money on commissary and pray for you. Nothing like going to prison, walking around with the prisoners, counseling them, and listening to them say, Pastor Rick, I heard a sermon you did years ago. I should have listened. I saw you. Remember years ago you took me out? Some friends of ours, you remember we saw you in the street? You dropped, you took us over to the pirate's house, and you took us here. You did this. I've done, I've done reached out, tried, and I, I'm telling you, I've had, I've had scores and scores of conversations where I've seen people who just don't want to be instructed. I don't get to have that life. I don't, I, you may think I do, but I don't get to be that. I, this is not a job where you, if you're going to do it well, that you, you can do it because you're just the king of knowledge. You need no knowledge, no instruction, nothing. No. You have watched leaders fail and you saw it coming. They said nothing because you couldn't. You've been on a job and you've seen the business failing and you couldn't say a word. They didn't listen to you. Nobody wanted instruction. You saw the numbers going down. You saw the client's attitude. You saw how we were wasting money as a company. But nobody could say anything because that was, quote, against the culture. So we just die. This family's falling apart. Everything is going down. We don't get along. We can't hardly eat a meal together without fighting. Does anybody see this? 
tragic part is your family is okay, and it's hard that you have to watch this when you go to a family reunion on the Sunday after church or when you have to meet with your brother or stop by his house. Hard to watch this tragedy. Watch this tragedy. Look at verse 24. Then he would receive the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. The two guys are listening to this guy and they're going like, okay, now that, that's not fair. He gave us the same opportunity he gave you and you're going to blame him? Amazing how it's called misapplied anger. Why would you be mad at your sister because she got a better life than you? Help me understand that. What did, what, what, how was that deserved? Why would you hate on, and I, I'm going to be political for just a minute. I don't like this argument about, you know, let's blast the 1% and celebrate everybody that's poor. Here's what I believe. Everybody should be blessed. How about an amen to that? Amen. And if I work hard and I get to the 1%, God be the glory. But I don't need to look down on anybody who doesn't have what I have. I need to help everybody come on up. Come on, say amen, right? Amen. Come on, can I get a big hand? I believe everybody should be given a chance to come up. I don't believe in class wars. I believe those with resources should be fair. I don't believe you should save me on taxes and then penalize everybody who works for me. I do think we should be fair. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. But there's, a, there's an extreme that comes up. He's blaming the guy who gave him the money. I knew you were hard and unfair, so verse 25, I was afraid. That's a scapegoat comment. I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. I know it was yours, so I hid it. Look, there you have what's yours. The master's response is blistering. The Lord answered and said to him, you're, you're, <laughs> you're wicked and you're lazy. And you knew that I reap where I have not sown. You've been a little sarcastic now, swinging it back on him. Since you knew I was like that, right? Gather where I have not sown, scattered seed. Here's what you ought to have done. Deposited my money with the bankers. You could have at least asked the bankers to help you. You didn't even do that. You could have made a deposit and the bankers would have given you interest, but you didn't even do that. Here's what's interesting to me. Look at how in this conversation the two guys are watching this tragedy unfold. That is part of success. It's tragic. So take from that from him and give it to him who has ten talents. What if you're the five-talent guy, right? You doubled your, your, your profit, and now you see him take the one talent that God did have and give it to you. That's painful. It's painful to watch your friend lose all the business and then the business comes to you. Because he wouldn't be there on time. Because he wouldn't pay the invoices. Because he wouldn't guarantee the warranty. And so the business comes to you. How good are you at watching people fail? If you're going to be successful, you're going to have to be good at this. How good and how common is it for you to force people to change? How good is it? How common is it for you to force them to change? How good are you at letting the famine teach people? I've learned that I can't force people to change. I've learned that I have to let the famine teach. That's my little saying. 
Repeat it with me, please. Say, the famine teaches. Sometimes I can't teach you. The two guys with talents had to embrace their promotions and privilege while others failed. Verse 29, to everyone who has, more will be given. Read this with me, please. Come on. To everyone who has, more will be given. Come on, everybody join me. Verse 29 of chapter 25. For, uh, for, every, for to everyone who has, more will be given. Just repeat it after me. Say, for to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. Pause for a minute. This sounds unfair. Because they already have. But this is more than that. This is because the master believes I can trust you with more. But, this is the hard part, from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. But you got to put that in context. He's saying, this is a guy who did not use what I gave him. I gained no profit giving anything to him. He even says in the next verse, and cast the unprofitable servant in the outer darkness. In other words, this guy is unprofitable. I, there's, there's nothing in it. Here's a question. What benefit does God get out of blessing you? You pray for a blessing, but what benefit is it? God gave me 40 people when I came to this church, right? So what's the benefit in blessing Ricky Temple if at the end of the day I say, hey, it's been 37 years, here's 40 people. The same 40 people with the same songs and the same building and the same everything. Here's what God described that as. Unprofitable. There's nothing in it. Here's why I like to swing this, you know. Diane married me. What has been the benefit of that? For her. I mean, that, that, let's think about this for a minute. What's the benefit? You're praying a prayer that's one-sided. And here's what he said, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not supporting this idea. They'll be weeping, they'll be crying, they'll be with gnashing of teeth. He says, then this is, has an eternal you know, consequence, and there's an eternal message in this, but let's not scare you today, let's just make the point. That there is something about you seeing your role in this story. Do you want to be the one guy? Two guys. It's painful on both sides. But I'd rather this pain. It's hard to watch, and it's going to get harder because they won't take care of themselves. They are going to put themselves in a physical place that they don't want to be in and eat themselves into a bondage. Their priorities are so off that over the next few years, they will create a crisis for themselves that is unfortunate and tragic. They are headed to divorce. They fuss and they fight and they complain and they yell. This is going to be a mess. And it's tough to watch. They are going to live from relationship to relationship to relationship because nobody can ever advise them. And they will keep making the same choices. They refuse to exercise. They refuse <coughs> They refuse. They won't even floss their teeth. They refuse. The stuff that have been there for weeks. 
the rice on this side, talking to the grits from last month. Hey, how y'all doing over there? It's been a while. I said, well, I've been here for two weeks, man. I got a cousin been here for a month. He back there in the back of the jaw. He back there just sleeping. Some kind of drilling going on down there. I hear some noise. You won't do right. You won't take 10 minutes a day. John, I went to that man in church. You're talking about blossom. Well, you start praying when your teeth hurt. Like Jesus' name, I bind the devil. Get in the prayer line. Ask you to put some gold in your mouth, something stupid. All you got to do is floss and brush. Come on, say amen. You hear me? Change your life, praise God. Sing in the spirit while you're doing it. I don't care what you do. What? We make things so complicated and so hard. You can have more money. Just stop spending all the money you have. Pause for a minute. You can have a better life than this. You don't have to live in this circle. There's something about coming to that place. You realize this is really up to me. You know what? It can be different. But you have to decide that you want a different life. Father, I pray that the message we've shared today is a message that is clear and simple. I pray that it takes us to another place. You want us to be okay. You don't want us to be in bondage. You want us to have the money we need so we can do what we need to do. You want us to be at peace. We want to be able to say, it's well with my soul. Storm clouds come. We can handle it. Father, I want you to lift your hand with me. Father, I speak peace to the hearts of your people today. Some are living in a chaotic life. A place that you never wanted them to live. But you will not take over their lives. for a second put your hands up. he will not Ricky Temple does not do what he should do he will not I have a plane to catch tomorrow and if I don't get to that airport on time they will need me God will not hold the plane for me I have all day I already packed, by the way. I did. I packed last night. Why are you packing so early? You know what came to my mind? I don't know if you should. I said what came to my mind. Let's vote. How many want to hear what came to my mind? Well, I ain't going to say it because all y'all don't want to know that. I'm going to edit it because they didn't all raise their hand. I'm not going to say it. They didn't all say it. One more time. How many want me to say what I'm going to my mind? I'm still okay, okay, good. I'm not going to be the late brother. I'll put it that way. I edited that a little bit. I'm not going to be, what do you mean? Pray about it. I'm not going to be that brother. People counting on me. I'm going to be early. 
My clothes are laid out. I will not be. I will not be. Will you be? God will never change. Look at me. Look at my. He will never change his ways. He said, I'm going to send you a comforter. Paracletos in the Greek. Someone called alongside to help you. The idea of the parasite, right? Ride you. I'm riding with you. But you're going to do this. Or you're going to lose it. Life is a gift. And if we as a church don't want anything else, he won't give us anything else. How many want something else? Father, lift those hands up high. We lift our hands to you. Declaring that we have heard your word today. That we are committed, Lord God, to courageously build wealth in our life. That is money. That is the right voices. That's the right advisors. The right tools. The right schools. The right books. The right sermons. The right churches. Because we are responsible to take charge of our lives. You've called us to walk with you. We are co-laborers with God in Christ. And so God, today we forgive us for assuming it's somebody else's job. I accept my challenge. Can you say that with me, please? Come on. Come on, say, I accept my challenge. You're a mother, you're a mother. You're a father, you're a father. You're a boss, you're a boss. You're a student, you're a student. You are what you are. A grandparent, grandfather, grandmother. You are who you're called to be. So in Jesus' name, we embrace our calling. Now with every hand down. Father, I pray for people in this room who've never given their lives to you. That's their responsibility. An angel's not going to come and tell them. They've already heard it. They know they need to serve you. So I pray for people in this room today who don't serve, who, have, who are not serving you, but who need to. Who want to surrender their lives to Jesus and say, Lord, I am not where I need to be in my relationship with you, but today I come asking you to let's start one today. Whether I be home or here or wherever they are, Father, let this be the beginning of a new relationship. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if you say, Pastor Rick, that's my prayer today. That's the prayer that I'm praying with you. Raise your hand. Say, that's the prayer I'm praying. I need to give my life to Jesus today. I need you to pray with me so that my life can start a brand new walk. Anybody can pray this prayer with me. We want it all. Lift our hearts and hands one more time, please. Father, many lift their hearts. Some at home lift their hands, wherever they be. Let this be the beginning of a new life for them. Jesus' name. Everybody say, Amen. Give God a big hand clap. Would you do it?